All right, I also want you to put your finger in John chapter 4 because we're going to go to there a little bit later in the message, but uh, we'll look at something in John chapter 4 to coincide with this. Uh, But there is a story that coincides with that. That's about the woman at the well. Seems like a couple was getting married, and and, um, they wanted on their wedding cake, which I think is a good idea, they put on their wedding cake, 1 John 4, 18, which reads, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Now, that's a good little verse to have on a wedding cake. Uh, either accidentally or somebody doing a practical joke left off the Roman numeral one. So instead of 1 John, they just got John 4.18. For thou hast had five husbands, and the man whom thou now hast is not thy husband. Well, uh, that could cause problems, couldn't it? Okay. So, um, uh, just, uh, I saw that the other day, I says, well, I'm going to John 4 today, so I think I need to tie that in somehow or another. All right, John chapter 19, 28, those are text, and uh, as we read there, it says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now shall we pray. Father, we've uh, looked at these sayings of Jesus Christ, and Lord, I pray that if there's one under the sound of my voice today, realize that this cross was for them if they're without Christ. It was for us who were saved and in heaven. We'll be able to still see those nail scars. No, it's for our sin, and yet know that he loved us he loved us and we're forgiven thank you for it lord and now i pray again anybody without christ under the sound of my voice this day or if they hear the sermon later i pray that it might bring them to jesus christ their lord and savior in jesus christ's name amen well after his cry that we went over last week of my god my god why hast thou forsaken me we get in now to sing uh, near the end of the cross. The darkness is pretty well past, and now he sees to the need of his human body. And he says, I thirst. Now, Jesus literally thirsted. This is a physical thirsting now, but we're going to look at some other things to go with it. But this was a literal physical thirsting. The crucifixion literally was one of the most painful modes of of torture that was devised by man. He had the loss of blood from the beating of the Roman cat of nine tails that would just tie up about uh, tear up to about three hundred and fifty some odd strips from his body. He was beaten about the head with the reed in the hands of men. In addition to that, he had thorns placed on his brow and if that's not enough the nails are driven to his hands and feet and then when the cross is put in place his bones are yanked out of joint that's pain but that's also a loss of a lot of blood much blood and it's causing intense pain in his body now i'm told i'm not a scientist i'm not a doctor so i don't i guess i am a doctor huh 
Uh, but, uh, yeah, see, take two aspirin, uh, and you'll be fine. Uh, uh, but I'm told hunger is painful, but not compared to the pain of thirst. I, I don't know that, never experienced it. But they say the pain of thirst far exceeds the pain of hunger. He's lost very much blood. So it's what? Much thirst, very intense thirst. And when he yells, I thirst, Psalm 69, 21, written 1,000 years before the cross, says, and they gave me vinegar to drink. This is a prophecy right there of a cross that was written a thousand years earlier. Just like Psalms 22 tells us about all the things that go on in the cross. And that was a thousand years before it actually happened. Isaiah 53 tells us about the cross 700 years before it happened. And the reason I point that out uh, is that, you know what? It proves, the Bible proves its own self with 100% accuracy. It's written a thousand years, seven hundred years, and then it's all fulfilled. The Bible is accurate, it's preserved, and you can trust it. It's a sure thing. But now his mouth is parched and burning. Years before the cross, as a matter of fact, thousand years, four thousand years before the cross, there was a prophecy made of a coming Savior. Mary was told it would be her seed. Now, look, the seed comes from a man, not from a woman. Why was Mary told it would be her seed? Because the Holy Ghost would come upon her, and that holy thing that would be born of her would be called the Son of God. You see, he was even telling us 4,000 years before the cross of the virgin birth. Boy, that's tremendous. God laid it out, he told it all, and we can trust his word. He says, I thirst. I thirst. There's a prophecy in Psalms 42 and verse 3 that's a different kind of a thirst. It says, my soul thirsteth for God. And I wonder... That although that particular verse is not of the body, I wonder if that still pertains to the relationship between the Father and the Son that day. When he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's no grace, there's no mercy. And he has a thirst, an inner thirsting. But now this thirst is a cry from the bodily need. This begs a question of if my Savior suffered at the hands of God's outpoured wrath when my sins were upon him. What shall be the suffering of the man who dies without Jesus Christ as Savior? If we see in the cross, 
what God demanded, His holiness and His utter rejection of the sin of man, not even one sin. Don't forget, Adam and Eve, for one sin, the wages of sin was death. Just think of that spirit of a man without hope forever because he rejected Jesus Christ as his Savior. And although this is a literal thirst that Jesus has now at this point at the cross, he's nearing the end, it's also a literal victor's call. It's a victor's cry. On the cross, Jesus fought a great battle. The battle was with Satan. And he did it in his human body and spirit. He did not have the help of his heavenly father. It was his heavenly father that was pouring out his wrath upon him because it was his, the sin of all man. But again, he did that for us. And so it makes us think of the man in hell, the man that dies without Jesus Christ. He is forever in the same place. Have you ever heard people say, I don't like to go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there. You know, Satan is a deceiver. That means he's a hypocrite, and you're going to spend eternity with him and his cohorts. If you think a church has hypocrites, you haven't seen anything yet. And you get to dwell with them forever and ever and ever if you're without Christ. From birth to Jerusalem, Satan actually tried to prevent the cross. Satan's victory for the souls of all men for eternity hinged on him preventing the cross. He tries to get many people to come to the cross because so far everything has failed. On the mount, he tried to say, I'll give you all these kingdoms if you'll bow down and worship me. Oh, he tempted him, but he said no all the way. And then when he's on the cross... They're mocking him and saying, if thou be the Son of God, save thyself and us. Tempting him one more time to come off the cross, but he thinks, maybe I have a chance now. Yes, when he, I was offering the kingdoms of the world, his human body was fine. But now it's racked with pain. He's suffering. He's hurting badly. He's rejected of men, even his own earthly brothers that were born to Mary after he was born to Mary. Even they have rejected him to that point. And maybe at this weak spot in his human body and spirit, when the Father is not giving him any more grace, when the God Father is not giving him any more mercy, he will come off that cross. But instead, he stays because God so loved the world. He prayed for his persecutors on the same cross. He saved a thief on the same cross. He made provision for his mother on the same cross. And then he faced the rejection of the fathers, the father not giving him any grace or mercy. But he did it all in order that he might complete the task for mankind. But let's. Narrow that down. 
if I or if you had been the only person in all of mankind to have ever sinned, I believe Jesus Christ would have still left heaven's glory and came and paid the penalty for me, for you. Understand, when you come to Jesus Christ as Savior, it is an individual thing. After he accomplished all he could do for lost man, and he had won the battle for them to be able to be saved, all they would need to do was repent and believe the gospel. After he does all that he can do, then he looks to the need of his own famished body. So when he cries out, I thirst, the victory actually is already won. Let's imagine you're preparing to go out of town. And, boy, your yard needs mowed. And there's a big cloud outside there. You're looking out there. You look up the cloud, and that yard needs mowed. You go out there, and you start that mower up, and you got like us rich people do a push mower and and so you're pushing that mower back and forth you're going back and forth as fast as you can you're almost in a run mowing that yard and about the last two strips are left you start to feel a little mist falling on you and then little sprinkles of rain but you just keep going and oh you get done and get that uh, that mower back in the garage and then you go back in and you sit down and and you're all dirty you're sweaty you get that big glass of iced tea Oh, man, that is so good. And you sit down, and then all of a sudden you realize, man, I am wore out. I'm tired. Now, while you were trying to get that yard done, you weren't even thinking of that. You didn't think of that until the task was completed. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He thirsted long before that. But it wasn't till then, he says, I thirst. Jesus, after he had hung for six hours, enduring the most fierce battle ever, and also the deepest agony, now in victory, after all the work is completed, now he thinks to take care of that physical body he dwells in. But not till then. You see, even in the worst hours of the cross, Jesus is still our example as Christians. We're called to lift our cross and follow him. And we'll never carry a cross as he carried. We'll never have to endure what he endured. But we can still lift the cross and follow him. And in the midst of all of that, we'll find there's help for us. He had none. There was no help for Jesus. That's why he knows, he understands what he goes through. And so in 1 Peter 5, we're told, casting all care upon him. For he careth for you. 
In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why? Because he can do it. He says, Take, upon, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lonely in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And the great thing about that is that we don't have to carry the burden. We don't have to carry the yoke that he did. But having suffered all for us, all those hours on the cross, taken all the punishment of almighty deity upon his human spirit and body, to have to do that for us, it also teaches us something else. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 and 16. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know that idea I've been told that, that at the time of need says even up to the last moment. Trust him. He's been there. He knows. He can't be without feeling for you. He's suffered more than you ever will. So he has great compassion. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 9 and 10 uh, we get a good example of that. Uh, and, and he said unto me my Grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul couldn't do it himself. He had to have the strengthening of God. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities, in, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. We get strengthening and help. He received none. Yes, there was a literal thirst, but there was also a literal victor's cry. And there was a literal saving work that resulted for reprobate sinners such as we are. Oh, we could spend some time on Mary Magdalene that had the seven devils, which means that she was a witch and... A lot of other things could be involved with that. But the change in her life that Christ made was so complete that she's the first one that he appears to on his resurrection. Not an apostle, Mary Magdalene. And Jesus saved her in what God has cleansed, call it not common nor unclean. She's not only fully forgiven, her life has changed. God can do that. Now go to John chapter 4. And as you're going there, chapter 4, verse 28 uh, through 30, and then we'll jump down to verses 39 through 42. Here's the woman at the well. She is there at midday. Why is she there at midday? Because the other women won't be there. Most people won't be there. Not the normal time. She's there because of the terrible reputation she has. and Nobody likes her. 
especially the women that would go out there and get the water. There's a specific time usually they'd go. So she went, and she's alone. As we said, she had had five husbands, and the man now that she's living with is not her husband. So nobody wants to be around her. Adults don't want to have their teenagers around this lady. Ladies and wives don't want their husbands anywhere near that lady. And so with that thought in mind, let's look at verses 39 through, uh, 28 through 30. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And when they went out of the city and came unto him, and they were going down to verse 39, and many of the Samaritans that believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode with them uh, there two days. And many were more believed because of his own words, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, you and I must keep in mind, when we read that story, another statement of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, uh, uh, chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. As Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eatest thou your master with the publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, that they said that unto them, he said unto them, They that behold need not, uh, they that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous but the sinners to repentance. And Mark chapter 1 tells us that he went out preaching repentance and faith. He preached the coming of the Lord and his kingdom. He preached those things to all the people. We know that he gave the great commission. And he said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47, uh, look just that first part. Go ye into all the world and teach or preach the gospel. There we read this. And he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That's the first part of the Great Commission. And it was effective. You say, how's that? Because of its work in reprobate sinners. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators. Those are sexual sins of any kind, by the way nor idolaters, nor adulterers, those cheating marriage, 
nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Let's look at homosexuality. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers. That's the social party and social drinking party and crowd. Nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Then some of the most blessed words in the Bible. And such were some of you. <laughs> were means no more. Such were some of you. But ye are washed. How were they washed? By the blood of Jesus Christ. But ye are sanctified. They are set apart by God. They received his salvation. God sets them apart for himself. And by the Spirit of our God who worked through the gospel because he breathed out every word to change our lives. God saved these kind of people. They repent and they believe and they are forgiven fully. And they have remission, which means forgiveness. She literally gets complete forgiveness of sin. This lady in our text, or here in John chapter 4, she was convicted of her sin. And Jesus saves her soul. But isn't it interesting as soon as she's saved, she goes back to the city, to the men. She is changed, and she doesn't want their memory of her to be about those rendezvous that she's had with them. Not only she's tired of being looked down upon for her morals, but now she's forgiven. She's forgiven. And she wants other people to know that she's changed. What they knew of her is not true any longer. But she also, when you get saved and you get changed, you want others to have it. And so she goes to tell others, to let them know that they too can be changed, they too can be saved. Perhaps she tells those men, you can't, don't revel in some kind of a conquering you thought you made. That's false. You see, sin isn't pleasant in its memory. Rather, sin is usually wretched and regretful. That lady doesn't want to remember, be remembered that way. She wants those people to remember her as changed. So she goes back to the ones. She goes back to the people. The change is real. She doesn't want any man to think, I was special. No, she doesn't want that. She wants... She wants everybody to know what God has cleansed. Call it not common or unclean. The greatest thirst one can have in life is the thirst for their very spirit and soul that seeks forgiveness in their life from regret and all sin. But the only way this lady could make some things of her past right was to bring it to Jesus. And she did. And it was placed under his blood. And when she does, the one who thirsted for her soul on the cross 
saved it, even though it was before the cross. He made her pure. So much was his payment that his his body, his literal body, needed water. Just like my sin caused Jesus to thirst physically. But the other thing about that, he was able to give her the water of life. It'll flow out as a springing water, the Bible tells us in John chapter 7. When a person gets saved, the water of life, water that she will never thirst for again in her very the depths of her spirit. And so the Lord said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be full. Oh, yes. The church in Corinth and the lady at the well, they are pictures of the glory of God and the accomplishment, the triumphs of the cross. Two passages here in closing. One I've referred to many times already. Acts chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. A huge sheet is comes down from heaven in a vision that Peter's having. It's filled with all kinds of unclean meats that were unclean to the Jews. And as they, they're, they're there, the Lord says to Peter, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And when he goes to Cornelius' house, we've seen the purpose for it. For He says, God showed me in that vision. What he cleanses, don't call it common. Don't call it unclean. It's complete. He does a complete job. You're fully forgiven. In Revelation 22, verse 17, therefore it says this, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. Did you hear that? Let him that hears say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. Oh, that thirst in your soul. That thirst in your spirit. And whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Jesus can change your life today. You just got to let him. Just got to let him. On the other hand, as a Christian, we had the most important message ever sent to anyone. The message of the cross burial, and resurrection of our Jesus Christ. The President of the United States will never send a secret message more important than that message that we have to give. There has never been a time in the history of man whether it had to deal with war, whether it had to deal with a cure for some terrible type of melody or something of that nature. 
My wife's daddy died when she was one year old. One year, one month, one day old. Of TB. That was a dreaded thing back in that day. Now we think nothing of it. There was a cure. But greater than that cure is the cure for your sin. Christian, we have that message to carry. God will forgive. He will cleanse. Will you let him use you? And if you're not saved, if you're not sure if you died today, that heaven's your home, will you let him save you? Let us bow our heads, please.